morning everyone. Um, very welcome to our service this morning and a happy new year to you all. Are you awake or what? <laughs> I still need to fall asleep for my sermon, but uh, okay. Happy new year to you all and anyone watching online, they're very uh, welcome to join us this morning and I hope that God richly blesses you. Um, there's a few announcements I just need to go through. I'd just like to thank everyone who helped out um, with the Thanksgiving service uh, for Jeff Crummy on Wednesday. There were a lot of hands uh, working away here and uh, it was a very big funeral. And we continue to remember Mary and her family in our prayers. This coming Friday, the 12th of January at half past seven, we're having Barry's big quiz which will be uh, held in the Bradley Hall. And this is an opportunity for a fun night, a fun night out while supporting our mission projects in Rwanda and Peru. And you can sign up if you haven't already done so, just out in the vestibule there to my right uh, on the table. The Men's Fellowship meets on Saturday, the 13th of January, nine o'clock in Bangor Golf Club. And we'll be hearing from our own John Armstrong we're looking forward to that, and please let Bill Aiken know if you plan to attend. Next Sunday, of course, is our communion service, and also the Kirk Session, they've moved their meeting from this Tuesday night to the following Tuesday, the 16th of January. It's to allow members to attend uh, the awareness raising session uh, being held at half past seven, which is in First Bangor on Tuesday night, this Tuesday night. Um, the 9th of January. Uh, this meeting is to uh, raise awareness of the challenge of abuse within our church and is open to all members of PCI. E everyone, everyone in this congregation, if you would like to go, uh, you can, you're very welcome to go. It's not just for elders or, or, or leaders. Anyone can go um, and, and it should, it's looking like it's going to be a very good night. Uh, ben is organizing a lads and dads event on Saturday the 27th of January and if you could see the flyers in the vestibule you get more information on that and uh, thank you to everyone who contributed toys and monetary gifts toward our appeal for the Vine Center we are very grateful to you all for your generosity this year um, also just got an announcement this morning that there's going to be a prayer meeting on Zoom uh, the third Sunday night of this month at 7 p.m. We were massively encouraged before Christmas with the biggest turnout ever on, on Zoom and we'd love to have you uh, praying with us uh, at 7 p.m. That's the 21st of January and the details for that Zoom meeting will, will be put in the order of service. And I'd just like to call on Billy uh, to come and Billy has an announcement for the congregation. Good morning everyone. My announcement is to do with the Kirk Session. We as a Kirk Session have sought and been granted permission by Presbytery to hold an election of elders. Now Today, I'm giving notice that there will be a voters list available next week and the following week for you to look at and to check and make sure that if you need to be represented on it, you're right. There are two criteria to be on the voters list. First one is you must be a communicant member of the church. And the second one is that you must contribute to the stipend or the weekly free will offering of the church. These are the details as laid out in the code. Now, if you're not familiar with the term the code, the Presbyterian Church has a set of rules and they're contained in something called the code. The code of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. It's available on the internet. Anyone can go into the internet, look at it, read it. The section on the election procedures is uh, chapter 12, section one and it reads from paragraph 175176. I have a printout of it here, and there are some subcategories of uh, voting on the basis of contribution, and I will make sure that they are posted and connected 
to the voters list that we have at the moment. The purpose of today is to alert you to the fact that the voters list will be available for the next two Sundays. If you think there's something wrong in it, that you're left out and you shouldn't be, contact Reverend Shaw or contact myself and we will pursue it and see if a correction is necessary and if so we'll make it. Now we have a set of proposed dates as well. Today is making the, uh, the congregation aware. Next two Sundays voting lists available for you. On the 28th of January and the 4th of February voting will take place and voting will take place in the church and as we discovered in the past Proxy voting is not allowed. It's not accepted in the Presbyterian Church. So that's the situation at the moment. If you need more information, for goodness sake, talk to Mark or talk to myself, or in fact to any elder. And the information will be there for you next Sunday. Please, please check the list. If you think you should be on it and you're not, talk to Mark or myself, because we want it to be accurate. The last thing I want to add is, Elders can only be voted once. So the current elders, please don't vote for them. Once you're voted in as an elder, you're there for life. You don't have to be re-elected. So we're looking for people who are not elders to be elected, and it's up to five. It can be one, two, three, or four, of course, but it's up to five, and we shall see how things go. Thank you for that. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Billy. I uh, just want to start our service with Psalm 84, verse 10. Uh, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There's a, a man in the Old Testament who, you know, you probably don't even notice him. You read over his name and you don't even know who he is probably, but his name's Obed-Edom and he's a Levite, and he uh, comes to the fore whenever David is wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and he's trying to work out the best way to do it, and the Ark of the Covenant is a wee town called Kirith-Jerim, that's where Obed-Edom lives, and so the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Obed-Edom's house, I think it's there about three months, and the presence of God all over the Ark of the Covenant changes his life just from being in his house. And after that, you find him turning up at everything. He's in the choir, he's gatekeeper, he's doorkeeper to the temple, he's all over the place. It's like the presence of God transformed this man and he couldn't get enough of God. He couldn't get enough of God's presence. So. Jesus tells us that whenever we, two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. And it's not about how big the congregation is, it's about having him in our midst. So let's just pray. Father, we, this is the most privileged place to be this morning in the whole world. Father, to be in your presence is better than being anywhere else. One day in your courts is far better than a thousand elsewhere. And Lord, whenever we're in your presence, you do a wonder. You can bring comfort. You can bring healing. Lord, you can bring encouragement. You can bring strength. You can bring guidance. And Lord, we pray that in the worship this morning, as we exalt Jesus, Lord, that people's hearts may be touched and moved and given, Lord, whatever you know they need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing, Here I Am to Worship. And I love this song because it's a heart surrender song. It's a case of, you know, worship is about surrendering ourselves to the Lord. And it's not just about singing. Here I am to worship. I'm giving you myself, Lord. I'm wanting to honor you. I'm wanting to bring a smile on your face and delight your heart this morning as I worship and surrender myself to you. Let's stand and worship. <laughs>
ask Ben, the company's going to do a reading for us and then do a children's address. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Hold on as I flick to Acts 1.8. Um, and Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Uh, boys and girls, do you want to come join me up at the front? Come on up. Good to see you. Love the football kit. Morning. Oh, I love your dress. Wow. Good morning. All looking very excited. We have a few more. Oh, we do. You come on up, Ruby. Wow, I love your coat. Wow. Did you all have a great Christmas? You did? Fantastic. And I don't know about you, but whenever we have something really exciting happened to us. We want to tell people. Whenever you went back to school, did you tell your friends what you got for Christmas? Yeah, because whenever we have something good happen, we want to tell people. And I'm going to show you that this morning. I have a bag here with a load of sweets in it. And what I want you to do is I want you to come on up here and grab a bag of sweets. Simple as that. Come and get a bag of sweets. Come on up. They're good, aren't they? I hope you like squashies. This is all I had. Yeah. Now, that's great. You've got your sweets. But you know what's even better? When you tell people about something exciting that's happened. So what I want you to do, because you're so excited with your sweets, is I want you to go down, get someone in the congregation, and bring them up to get a bag of sweets as well. Go and grab anyone. Make sure that they can walk okay, but grab one person <laughs> and bring them up to grab a bag of sweets. Okay, bring someone up. Perfect. Okay, and now, person that's coming up, once you've grabbed a bag, I want you to now go and get someone else in the congregation and tell them about the good news of the sweets. So go and get someone else. So once you've got your sweets, go and get someone else. Grab your sweets and get someone else. There we go. There we go. Keep coming. Grab sweets and grab someone else. You've got to share this good news about the sweets. That's it. Hopefully I have enough for everybody here. There you are. Great. Keep grabbing people. Keep sharing this great news about the sweets. Brilliant. <laughs> And any leftovers go to me. But come on up. Keep, keep coming. I'm sure there's more to come. Fantastic. And don't worry. If you are unable to walk, I've got plenty more for you. After the service, come and see me. Yes. There's 80 bags. Yes. Very good. Brilliant. We must have got through most of you by now. No problem. Isn't this exciting? We've got sweets that we just want to tell people all about. We don't want to just keep it to ourselves. We want to share them because they're so nice. Anyone else to come? We've still got some more coming. Great. As I say, if you don't get some, let me know after the service. No problem. Fantastic. You see, they just keep coming. This is how exciting these sweets are. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, you've already had yours. <laughs> oh, for somebody else, that's all right. <laughs> no problem. 
Fantastic. There should be some more for you guys as well. Oh, there should be more than enough. Brilliant. Yeah, you can eat them. There you go. How exciting. You'll be getting your exercise in this morning. Brilliant. Four, go for it. Go for it. Okay. Okay, folks, I think that's been everyone. So if you haven't got one, come and see me at the end. I've still got plenty left. So why did I do that? Well, it's quite simple. When we have good news, we want to tell people. And if we get that excited about sweets, how much more excited should we be that God himself became like one of us, and he lived like us, and he died on the cross for all the naughty things we do, and now when we trust in him, we can go to be with him in heaven where it's perfect. And that is such exciting news, isn't it? That is worth telling a friend about. So here's a challenge for you. Why not tell someone in school? Why not say to them, here, do you want to hear about this cool guy, Jesus? Do you want to come to my church on Sunday? Mums and dads, grannies and granddads, why not tell a neighbor or a friend? Do you want to hear this good news about Jesus? Do you want to hear something exciting that will change your life? And so good news is always worth sharing. I'm just going to pray now, and then we're going to sing a little song. So, Father God, thank you for the good news that you have given us. Far greater than sweets, far more exciting, but that you sent your son, Jesus, and he lived for us and he died for us, and now we can be with you up in heaven. You are a great God, and that is worth telling every one of our friends and our family and our neighbors all about. And so thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing now. So we are. And so make sure your singing voices are great after those sweets. It's prayer music video. Do you know it? Does it do you recognize it? Because I need you to do the actions because I don't know the actions. But we're all going to stand and we're going to sing it now. now Ben's talking about sweets there. And I'm sure many dentists will be rubbing their hands <laughs> this week <laughs> after all that. But let's stand, and this is the Lord's Prayer. Put the music, and if you know it, and Rita's told me you've done it in Sunday school, uh, then you can guide us, okay, with it. Okay. Boys and girls go out to Bible class and Sunday club.
and the, the offering will be received. Just reflect on the words. Keep going. name of Jesus. Lord, without Jesus, we'd be lost. Without Jesus, we'd be on our way to a lost eternity. We thank you for Jesus, who is Emmanuel, who is with us every day, every trial, every temptation, every time we, we suffer, every tear that we shed, Jesus is there with us. We thank you for him. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for what he's done. We thank you that he loves us more than anyone has ever loved us or ever will again. And Lord, we want to share the name of Jesus and share what he has done um, beyond into our community and beyond, Lord, to Peru, to Rwanda, and wherever you would have us involved. We want to share the name of Jesus and the gospel. And Lord, we pray, we give these offerings, Lord, they're only tokens. You give us your son. You give us your son. You give us the very best you had. Lord, these are tokens, Lord, that everything we have, everything we own, every gift we have belongs to you. We want to surrender it to you. And most of all, we surrender our hearts to the living God through Jesus Christ. Use these gifts, Lord, to promote your kingdom in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's pray. 
just coming into a new year, 2024. Father, we desire as a church to take hold of the vision you have for us. And we pray that you would lead and guide us to take a collective step of faith in the direction that you would have us go. Help us, we pray, to grasp the church vision that you have for us. And may we be sensitive to your leading and guidance. Prevent us from seeking to implement our own inferior ideas or substitute our own man-made notions for your plans and your purposes. Draw us closer to each other. Draw us closer to you as we seek your face together in prayer. May we be strengthened in the inner man, united together in the unity of the faith, and prompted to carry out your plans and your purposes to your greater glory. We pray that the church vision that emerges in our hearts will have been prompted by the Holy Spirit for the edification of your people here in Ballycrocken and to your praise and glory. And this we ask in Jesus Christ's name, our Saviour. And together we pray the prayer that your Son used as an example of how to pray. We pray together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing a beautiful song, Amazing Grace. It's by the grace of God that we are saved. It's by the grace of God that we have him in our lives on a daily basis and we have a future because of Christ. Amazing grace. from 
Acts chapter 1, verses 1 uh, to 11. Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And this is the word of God. And uh, I have, yeah, that's great. Thank you, Chris. You know, as you know, we've been praying as to what to do with regards to the middle building, um, whether to repair the roof or go down a different route. When the committee and the Kirk session, when we met on a Saturday morning here before Christmas to discuss the situation, we kept going back to the question, what is our vision? Which is a much deeper question than just a matter of, of bricks and mortar. We kept coming back to the fact that we need to know what God wants us to be, what God wants us to do. What is the vision that God is placing in our hearts and out of that comes then, how do we build? What do we build? What is going to be the most appropriate use of our building? You know, most building, buildings are built with a purpose in mind. A school is built for pupils. A hospital is built for patients. We build what is going to be the most appropriate building, which is in line with our vision. What is God wanting us to be? What is God wanting us to do? And how do we propose to move from A to B? I thought that going right back to the early church in the book of Acts might help us to think out of the box and in doing so might help us to answer some of those questions. So I propose to do a, a, a series on acts and occasional diversions to the letters of Paul. Well, the book of Acts is Luke's second piece of work back in the days of the early church. Obviously, letters weren't typed, they weren't printed. A piece of writing would be on a scroll. The, length, the likes of Luke's gospel and Acts would have been on a scroll about 35 feet in length, all handwritten. The scroll then would have been passed around different churches for it to be read in different churches. Luke would have used two scrolls, one piece of work on each. Both letters were addressed originally to a man called Theophilus. Now, in the first scroll, what we call Luke's Gospel, and we're more associated with that, he addresses him as most excellent Theophilus. Now, that type of term, that was a formal term, where Roman governors were called most excellent. And later in Acts, there's most excellent Festus, a governor. So we think that he was a Gentile. We think that possibly he was a Roman governor. He was someone with great power and authority. 
And his name, Theophilus, it's been suggested that he chose that name himself when he became a Christian. Um, because his name translated means loved by God or lover of God. So the first work that Luke uh, brought forth had already named Theophilus in it. And he told Theophilus, he said, listen, I'm going to tell you about this man that I met. And he goes on to say about his birth, about his ministry, about his death, about his resurrection, and about his ascension. Um, so, sorry, I lost my place there. In John 17, though, verse 4, Jesus uh, starts to say about his, his own work, about I have finished the work. Luke tells us right up to the point where Jesus has dealt with, on the cross, man's sin, death, the sting of sin has gone. He's finished the redemptive work. And that's what Luke tells in his gospel. Birth, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension. Now, Jesus himself says, I have finished the work, Father, when he prays in John 17. He says, I have finished the work that you've given me to do. And then when he hangs on the cross, he says, it is finished. So that is the finished work of Jesus. There's nothing more to be done with regards to salvation, with regards to buying our salvation, paying for our salvation. That is done, that is sorted, that is finished. But now the second work of Luke is to let Theophilus know of the continuing work of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus died, but he's alive again. Jesus died, but he's continuing his work. And uh, Jesus has finished his redemption. It's sealed, secured, finished. But Jesus continues working in the power of the Holy Spirit and through the church. And that's what the book of Acts is about. Jesus is alive and well, and he's working through the Spirit in the church. In chapter 1, this is one classroom that I'd love to have been in because Jesus uh, begins to teach about the kingdom of God. Um, he begins to teach about the kingdom of God uh, over, over 40 days. It's, it's an incredible responsibility. He tells them that they are going to have to go to the ends of the earth. This is a massive responsibility. They're going to share in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a massive thing for them to have to do. And he begins, and we're told by Luke, Luke specifically, we're told 40 days, 40 days, he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. Now, 12 disciples. Now, Judas is gone. Matthias has come on board instead of Judas. And Jesus says, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As I've said, that is a massive responsibility. You have to take the gospel to every man, to every woman, to every child around the globe. And I want you to try and visualize what it would have been like back then. There was no internet. Transport was difficult. Uh, so these 12 men were to share Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, the very place where Jesus was hated and crucified. They were to share the gospel with those people, those detestable half-breed Samaritans that they didn't like. And then they, when they finished that, they were to go to the ends of the earth. So back then, if you think of yourself as a businessman back then, a businessman would not even, even the best businessman in the world would not be able, would not be able to get right around the world and, and sell his product in every house around the world. It was an impossible task. And when they say this, when Jesus says, you're going to have to go to Jerusalem first, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When you're going to have to do that, you're going to bring the gospel to every man, to every woman, to every child. They're going, this is massive. This is mind-blowing. This is mind-boggling to, to do that. It's an impossible task. You know, I, I can imagine the faces of the angels in heaven delighted that Jesus is returning soon. 
Um, but nervously asking, so who's taken over from Jesus? And somebody says, the disciples. Are you serious? Seriously, the disciples? The same, the same Peter, James and John, who they fell asleep when Jesus needed them to pray in the darkest hour of his life. The same Peter who denied him three times. Yes, the same James and John whose mummy wanted them to sit beside Jesus in heaven. Yes, these same disciples who ran in fear while Jesus was being arrested. Yes, the same disciples who Jesus told he'd meet in Galilee after his resurrection, but instead they went fishing. Yes, these are the men. These are the men that Jesus is leaving this responsibility of preaching the gospel and bringing it to every household throughout the nations. It's been left to them. Are you serious? Yes, it is. It does not seem like a viable option. And you can understand why they need a crash course on the kingdom of God. And Luke's gospel is the only gospel that tells us that they have these 40 days. We're told for 40 days, Jesus speaks to them concerning the kingdom of God. You know, of course, he'd spoken to them about the kingdom of God before this, before his crucifixion. But now he, want, he must make sure that they under, their understanding of what the kingdom of God is, is crystal clear. And how they desperately need these 40 days to be with Jesus. For a number of reasons. First of all, they needed the reassurance that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. This was unprecedented. Someone that they'd spent three years with, they'd watched him on the cross dying, they'd seen his body being taken down, he'd been taken to the empty tomb, and then there was the good news that he was risen. It would take a while for you to get your head around that, and Jesus spends time with them necessary time with them, to eat meals with them, to pray with them, to talk with them, to teach them. And gradually it's sinking in more and more. This is the same man that we were with before, without a doubt. They needed that reassurance. But Jesus needed to make sure that they understood the correct gospel message. Right up to the point when Jesus ascended into heaven, he's been teaching them the message of the gospel. And in the previous school, basically Luke is saying, I was keeping you up to date in my previous school in what's called Luke's gospel. I was keeping you up to date, birth, death, or birth, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension. I told you all that, most excellent Theophilus, but now... On the second scroll, what I'm wanting to do is I'm going into a little more detail about what Jesus does and teaches after his resurrection. Uh, it's important to get the message right. This is so vital. I've described the gospel before like a medicine. And if you go to the doctor and you are seriously ill and the doctor says to you, you must take this medicine, but as long as you take this medicine, you'll be fine. You're not going to go home and water it down. You're not going to go home and take bits off and just disobey the doctor and take it a bit then and a bit here. You're going to do what the doctor says. You need to get the message right. When do I take the medicine? How much do I take? And so forth. Otherwise, it's ineffective. And the gospel is the same. They need to get the message right. The gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. We need to get the message right. And Jesus sits and talks with them uh, over 40 days. And uh, he starts on the road to Emmaus, do you remember, with the two disciples? And he, he, he's standing chatting with them, asking them why they're looking so sad. And then he starts to say, we're told the beginning with Moses, right back, Moses and the prophets. He goes right the whole way through the scriptures and points out every part of the scriptures that concerns himself. So they need the right message. And the New Testament emphasizes again and again the importance of sound doctrine, the importance of getting the message right, of protecting the true message that may be handed down to the next generation 
without defect. You know, the Apostle Paul, in fact, he was very, very passionate about this. He warns the church at Galatia of those who want to pervert the gospel, who want to change the gospel uh, or distort it. And he says, if even an angel comes from heaven, or if we come and we preach another gospel than the one we've already preached, may they be accursed. Don't listen to them. So it's getting the message right that they might go out and share it. And after these 40 days, it would seem that they're ready to go. But Jesus suddenly pulls on the brakes. You could say they've graduated. They've had their 40 days with Jesus. They had the teaching pre-crucifixion. They've had the teaching post-resurrection. They've done everything that Jesus wanted them to do. You could say they've got their graduation gowns on and they're ready to go. And Jesus pulls on the brakes at the very last minute. He pulls on the brakes and he turns around and he tells them that they need the right power. You know, this commission of going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, every nation, every household to hear the gospel, to know the good news, that is a massive task. You cannot do it as there are 12 disciples. There's no way that you're going to be able to do this in your own strength, ever. But he goes on and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You know, back in verse 4, Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Whatever you do, do not leave Jerusalem. You'll fall flat on your face. Your ministry will go like that. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit, the gift, he said, that my Father had promised. You know, I just, I wonder what they were thinking of when Jesus talked about the power of the Holy Spirit needing to come. The gift from the Father. You wait for the gift from my Father that my Father promised. What were they thinking? What do you think it would have meant to the disciples back then? What the Father had promised. They're likely to have thought of Ezekiel 36, verse 27. Because back in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel, God speaks through this prophet and he gives incredible hope of what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. And he says, I will put, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's the same passage where he says, I'm going to take your heart a stone. I'm going to take it out of your heart. And I'm going to put a heart of flesh, a heart that's sensitive to me. I'm going to put that into you. And I will give you my spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's what they're probably thinking when Jesus says, you stay in Jerusalem and a few days from now, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And it's going to, he is going to be the powerhouse for your whole ministry. And they're probably thinking of this passage. Yes, God promised that. Yes, when the Messiah was coming, God promised when the Messiah would come that that would happen. Possibly also thinking of Joel 2, 28, 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is a prophecy that came to pass in the New Testament church as the New Testament church was born and grew and developed like a seedling and into a large tree. It says, you shall, my, I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, they're going to prophesy. Your old men, they're going to dream dreams. That God is going to give them dreams to guide them. Your young men are going to see visions. And also on my men servants and on my men servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You know, it was expected, anticipated by the Jewish people that when the Messiah would come, God's Holy Spirit would be come upon all sorts of people. Not just people who are leaders, men servants, maid servants, the maid, the, the servant, all of them. 
that the Spirit of God would come down on all people that were trusting in Christ and God would pour out his Spirit. You know, God's Spirit is the powerhouse for ministry. You know, we are told in Scripture that men and women are spiritually blind, that they, Jesus is right in their midst and they don't recognize who he is. Spiritually blind, that they don't recognize their own sin and they don't recognize that they need a Savior. And the only way that that's going to be rectified is not by some fleshly activity of us preaching, it's by God's Spirit anointing their hearts and opening their spiritual eyes of their need for Christ. You know, we're told that we do not fight with weapons of, of flesh, but with, with power of the Spirit of God and of prayer that breaks down strongholds. You know, um, so Jesus says, I want you to wait for the gift which my Father promised. And Jesus says to them, you've heard me speak of this as well, haven't you? And there's a list, I'm not going to go into a lot of them, but there's a list of times when Jesus talks about, you know, I must go to be with the Father and then I'll send the Spirit down to you and he will, he will remind you of the things that I have taught you. You know, you've heard me saying about this. And you heard John the Baptist as well. Didn't John the Baptist, Jesus quotes him here, John baptized water. In a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what John told you. He said, there's someone coming, and I'm not worthy to untie his laces. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You heard that. You've heard me talk about that, says Jesus. Indeed, when Jesus is in his own home synagogue, and he stands up to read Isaiah 61, verse 1, he starts with, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And as he finishes, he says, he looks at them, he says, this very day in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. The Spirit of God has come down. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized by John and the Spirit of God came down on him and filled him? And then after he was tempted, we're told by Luke that that he was led from the wilderness back to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So every miracle that Jesus did, every sermon Jesus preached, every activity that he was involved with was all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, forgive me for being a bit irreverent here, but Jesus is the prototype of what was to come of us. He says to his disciples now, he says, now, in a few days' time, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus' last words to his disciples before his ascension are, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. You know, to go to the end of the earth. You know, what God's Spirit does, what, it's God's Spirit that makes us witnesses. Otherwise, we're only advocates. We can teach. You can teach the Bible and not even be a Christian. You can have a great authority about the Bible because you've studied it and still not be a Christian. But it's the Holy Spirit that comes upon us that makes us witnesses. Uh, after the resurrection... Our, our Lord came to these men. They had been with him for three years. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. These are the last words that Jesus said to them before he ascended. Here were men that had been with him for three years. They knew him intimately. They had listened to him preaching, that listened to him teaching, that seen his miracles, that stood there, that watched that he died upon the cross, they'd seen him buried, they knew he'd been risen from the dead, 
They'd spent 40 further days listening intently to him, teaching them of the kingdom of God. If ever men were in a position to testify to the resurrection and to all the facts about the Lord, it was these disciples. They had the qualifications. And yet the Lord tells them that they would be quite unable to do it until they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, when we're thinking about going forward in this church, it's not our programs and our schedules and our um, agendas that are going to bring us forward, that are going to bring us fruit. It's Jesus. It's God's Spirit moving upon us, God's Spirit moving in us, God's Spirit guiding every step that we take. And, uh, and he says, I'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit from that because God is in it. God is all over it. And that's why prayer is so important because we want God in it. We want God all over it. We want his fingertips in every part of this building and every heart and every person that comes into this place. We want God moving on them. And it's only God that opens eyes. It's only God that brings revival it's only God that spurs our hearts and guides us. And he can do it. And we're going to, that's why we're looking at Acts, and we'll see how God does amazing things in what seems like impossible situations. We see what God is able to do, that he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father God, we do, I feel overwhelmed at times, Lord. We feel overwhelmed at times by, Lord, the responsibility that we have and we wonder, how? What is the way to go forward? How can we do this? But God, keep us in perspective. Keep our eyes fixed on you. Let us know, God, the great God that you are, the amazing God that you are, and what you've done so far, and you didn't need us to do it. But God, you're, you're wanting to use us as your vessels. Fill us, thrill us, excite us, lead us, God, in 2024. God, lead us into areas that we don't feel comfortable with. Lead us, Lord, out of our comfort zones. May we be led by your Spirit to, to try and to do something different but only let it be led by you, Lord. Only if it's led by you. We pray, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Proverbs, Lord. Trust not in your own understanding, but lean on the Lord. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Lord, I pray, God, put in our hearts to pray and to seek your face every single day, Lord, for our own lives, for this church, and for its future and for your kingdom in Ballycrocken. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going we're gonna to sing a beautiful uh, hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. When Jesus is yours, you don't have to worry, or you don't have to fear the future. Jesus is yours. He's there for you no matter what.
just before I say the benediction, you might be sitting there and maybe you're an elderly person and you think, what can I do? I'm just in the background. I'm just on the fringe. We need you. We need you. We need everyone. We need you to be praying. The, the revival in the Outer Hebrides started with two women, one woman that couldn't get out of her bed and the other woman was partially blind. And they started to pray. And God moved. And often all the cottages in the Outer Hebrides, a light came down on the top of the cottages, a visible light when they were praying. And God began to move. So don't be thinking, you're, you're, oh, I'm past it. You're not past it. We need you. We need you. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.